Good to be in uh, part three of our Best Yes series. If you haven't been with us the past couple weeks, we've just, we started this series just looking at how Jesus called his disciples with such simplicity to come and follow me, he said. Just that, that simple. And they said a yes right then, but, it, the, but following Jesus isn't just about the one-time yes. We need the one-time yes in which we make a decision to follow Jesus for our whole, with our whole life. Um, but it's also the every day. It's the every day yes in which I wake up and say, you know, I'm going to serve Jesus again today. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to obey him today. And so today we're going to continue that conversation. Um, and so I don't know if you've ever made a bad financial decision. Have you ever made a bad financial decision? We're celebrating bad financial decisions. Awesome. Awesome. This will be helpful today. Um, no, I, I think if you've ever made a bad financial decision, it doesn't necessarily make you a, a bad Christian. It just makes you human. We've all made uh, bad decisions. I'm holding before you one of my bad financial decisions. Um, about 18 months ago, two years ago, I don't even know the exact date. Um, but you know how a couple weeks ago I talked about how I prefer Google Maps because Google Maps knows I'm stupid and knows that I need it very plainly before me. Well, um, I, I shop on Amazon because it knows I'm stupid, but it also knows I'm weak. And so this is what you have before you is uh, this thing um, that is called, it's, it's to make sushi, but it's called a sushi bazooka. So as a man, if I can get my hands on a bazooka, even if it's a sushi bazooka, I got to buy it. It was affordable, and so I bought a sushi uh, bazooka and uh, brought it home, and we took, um, and this is how just ridiculous and stupid it is. So what you do is you kind of open it up, and you kind of pack your rice and your things, and you roll it in there. I don't know how to do this. I'm not a sushi guy. But, but then you, um, and then you just kind of push it and basically, um, you know, push your, your sushi out, okay? So I took brown rice, I took some corn, I took some chicken, I took a little sauce. <laughs> yeah, you guys are looking at me exactly how you know this is going to turn out. And so, and I just, and I just shove it out and it just goes, and just comes out. So here's the crazy thing about the whole sushi bazooka situation we have before you is I don't even eat sushi, don't even eat sushi, hence why I put brown rice and chicken and sauce in there. Taryn loves sushi, so if you'd like to go out for sushi with Taryn, she'd love it. But unless it's fried and it's got shrimp and crab and cream cheese in it, then I'm not interested because I don't eat sushi. But I know many people like sushi. How many of you guys like sushi? How many of you guys want to learn to make it at home? <laughs> Anybody want to try, wants to own their first bazooka? Anybody want to own their first bazooka? Somebody. Somebody needs to take this from me. Yes. <laughs> Leah. Hi. There you go. Good catch. Caught a bazooka. Um, we've all made a bad financial decision. I know I'm not the only one. Um, and, and today, I, I want to pivot. Last week, we talked about one of the most scarce resources in our life, and that is the resource of time. And it, it, there's just never enough of it and how to trust God in our time. We talked about that. And today, as you can probably guess, I want to talk about what it means to trust God in our finances and what it means to trust God uh, with our money. And, and I know some of you are, are brand new and you've never heard me talk on money. And so probably your, your blood starts to get a little bit uneasy because um, you, you've heard people talk about money at church and it just makes you weird you out a little bit. Um, uh, but for some of you, you've been around for a long time and you've heard me preach about money and you know that 
that I'm not going to like do, do a big offering at the end and like try to, to get money from you. Um, and so, but you have heard me teach on money uh, many times because Jesus taught on it a, a lot. And, uh, and as we were, I don't know if you're doing the 21 days of uh, prayer with us and going through the, the reading guide, but this past Monday or Tuesday, it just struck me, and I, I wanted to start this morning just with a simple text, particularly for those of you that, have, hey, Pastor, I've heard the message on money before. Like, I, I trust God with my, my money. I, I, I want to be generous towards God. Um, and you've heard that before. And I, I just read Philippians 3, 1, and I, I wanted to bring that to us this morning. It says this, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And Paul, here's what Paul says to the church. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again because it's a safeguard for you. Like, I just wanted to start us there. If you've heard this message before, if you've heard this scripture we're gonna look at, it's a safeguard for you, for your heart. And ultimately, God doesn't need our money, right? He's not growing his bank accounts. Like, he, he owns a cattle on a thousand hill. It's all his, um, but it, it's us that need a safeguard. And even myself, who uh, I've trusted God in finances for uh, since I was a teenager, uh, I, I just read that, and I'm like, God, let it be a safeguard for me as I study your word. Let it, let it speak to, to my heart. And so without much uh, context or anything, I just want to dive into Luke chapter 12. And Jesus is going to share a parable when he's kind of drawn into the middle of a situation. You ever got dragged into the middle of a situation, and like, especially like two family members want to like get you to like play sides. Well, that's kind of what happens with Jesus. Luke chapter 12, let's read it together. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, I got to do this in my own voice. Man, who, who appointed me judge or an arbiter between you? I just got to do that in my voice, sorry. Um, uh, then he said to them, watch out. He's like, well, since I'm here in the middle, I'm going to go ahead and speak the truth. Uh, watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And, and, then, he, um, uh, and uh, then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And, and there I'll store my surplus grain and I'll say to myself, you have Plenty of grain stored up for many years. Now take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. That phrase just resonated with me. Is not rich towards God. So I I just want to speak to you and teach out of this, this parable this morning with a message entitled, How to Be Rich Towards God. <laughs> How to be rich towards God, because I think everybody would like a little bit more money. But Jesus, I think, speaks very three, three things into our lives out of this parable that I think are really going to help us. I think they're really going to help us. They're going to be a safeguard in our life. Um, and, and the first is that we got to be content. If we're going to be rich towards God, we got to be content with what we have. You see, on, on the outset, this situation that Jesus gets drawn into to decipher on the inheritance looks like a matter of justice. Like somebody wants their share. Like I want my share of the inheritance, but it's really not about justice as Jesus points to. It's really about greed. Because if you know the law in this time uh, period, what was due to a younger sibling is one-third of the inheritance, and to the eldest uh, son, it would be due two-thirds of the inheritance. And so for all the younger siblings in the room, I want to hear you say, 
That's not fair. Can we just say that? That's not fair. I'm going to say what your mama said. Life ain't fair, you know? Life ain't fair. That was just the situation. That was the culture in which they lived in. And, and he said hey, it wasn't that he wanted his third because that was what the law owed him. That was what the law uh, said, dictated that he would receive. He wanted half. He wanted more. He was not content with what he had. And so Jesus is speaking to the real root of the issue. The real root of the issue is not justice. It's, it's greed. And I think we get into this situation of, okay, we, okay, I need to be content. Well, how can I be content? And, and it's pretty simple. Just be grateful for what you have. Start there. Be grateful for what you have. I, I think in our mind, and to, Beckett, Beckett and I, my oldest son, when we're at the table, Taryn has become just an amazing chef. Every, every week, the boys are like, Mom, you need to open your own restaurant. And I would eat there every night. She's like, well, you do eat there every night. <laughs> And I do own my own restaurant. <laughs> and, um, but Beckett and I get to this place, and we talk about this a lot, in which we eat until we're full, but then it's so good. We just want a little more, but we know if we go in, you guys know what I'm talking about, and you get the more, you're going to be miserable, right? We think it's that a little bit more is going to make us happier, but then it actually it just makes us miserable. And so there's a practice, even in our food, that we, we can't just say, no, I'm content with where I'm at. We want to keep indulging for more. Because I think in the heart of it is we think a little more will make us happier. That the answer and the secret to happiness is just a little bit more. But I'll tell you, the secret to happiness is just to be content. And Paul, who is uh, uh, speaking this, uh, or not, I'm sorry, Jesus is speaking this. We looked at Paul a minute ago, who we just looked at. Uh, he said, look, I've had a lot, and I've had a little, and I've learned to be content no matter what my situation is. And I think that's something that we've got to grab a hold of. How do we get content? Well, we've got to be grateful for what we have. Because when my eyes are focused on my two slices of pizza, I'm not caught up in anybody else's three slices of pizza. I'm just grateful for my two slices. But as soon as my eyes start drifting over there and I'm not counting my own blessings, then I, I actually kind of get frustrated. I'm like, well, and I start comparing and getting into this, this game that leads to a lack of contentment. And really at the heart of it is, is greed. And it, and, it, and it undermines our ability to be rich towards God, to be generous to God. See, laying up treasures on earth as Jesus is trying to get to them will not lead to happiness. Laying up treasures on earth will actually just lead to emptiness. Like we'll keep buying and we just think the next thing, and we're not consciously doing this, it's just subconsciously, but at the end of it, we find that it's just, we're just more empty than we were when we started. Jesus is telling us that laying up treasures in heaven brings a fullness of joy that words can't describe. When our eyes are on our blessings, we forget about our lack when I'm just thanking God for my 15-year-old vehicle that has nearly 300,000 miles, when I'm just thanking him for that, I, I, I forget about the locks that don't work on, six, on four of the doors. <laughs> Literally four of the doors on our car. I'm talking about me. Like this, is, this is my life. I forget about it. I forget about everybody else's blessing, and I forget about uh, my lack. And so that's the first thing to be content, is to be thankful for what you have, be grateful for what you have. And the second thing that Jesus goes into, he says, watch out. Like, hey, you got to pay attention to this. And he said, be careful for all kinds of greed. This struck me this week because I've always just thought about one kind of greed, like I want more money, I want more. But greed, I, I really begin to dive into it. And greed is idolatry. 
Greed is idolatry. It's worshiping money. And, and, and I'll tell you, like, let's just go ahead and on in with it. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says that it's among, there's a list of, of things. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, you can look at it. It's among a list of things that, that Paul says that type of idolatry is actually idolatry that will keep you out of heaven. Right? I'm not doing manipulation. I'm just, I'm just reading all the scriptures, not just ones we, we want to read. It's actually idolatry that will keep us out of heaven. Look what Hebrews 13 verse 5 says. This is powerful. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Not money. It's okay. Get your promotion. Like Excel. Be successful. But keep your heart. Keep your life. All of it free from the love of money. It's not your God. It's not your God. And be content with what you have. Be content. If we're going to be rich towards God, but here's the underlying thing. Why some of us, we can't be content is because we're really fearful and we've forgotten that he's not going to leave us or forsake us. And, and we don't really, really believe that. Okay? We don't really believe that he'll never leave us for, nor forsake us. Uh, there's this uh, one book out there called Godnomics, an author by the name of Chad Hoving. And he said this, and this is just so well said. I, I want you to read it with me. Uh, Greed is like a termite. It's out of sight, but it's boring deep into our hearts. It doesn't attract attention as it eats away at our ability to be generous. It's unseen. We're not really paying attention. It's just in stupid sushi bazookas. And just a little bit more, I gotta have it, and I gotta have it now. And Jesus goes on to say, not just one type of greed, but all kinds of different types of greed in his book, Godnomics, Chad uh, Hoving actually outlines four that I just want to make a few comments on. And maybe as you go through them, you can say, greed is kind of manifesting itself in this. And I didn't realize that was greed. And maybe I can just bring that. The first one is hoarding, which I think we all think of as like the show hoarding, like hoarders where, you know, your house is just filled and the person can't walk through their house. And like, maybe that's your house. But that's not, I really think the, the hoarding that most people uh, deal with. In, in, in fact, I, I think it's been a little bit easier for Taryn and I because we have an old house and our closets are really tiny, like, like, like really tiny, like the size of this table tiny. And so you, you can't be a hoarder in this house. You got you to keep, you got to clean out. If you want something new, you got to clean the shirt out. You got to keep doing that. But I don't think that's the type, the stuff, maybe that is for you. But I think many struggle with the idea of hoarding and greed. And it's actually, we're obsessed with savings. Not, not biblical savings, like making a plan for, we're actually obsessed with it. And, and at the heart of that is we're insecure about the future. We've forgotten Hebrews 13, 5, that he'll never leave us nor forsake it. And we don't actually see God as provider. We see ourselves as provider. And, and we can't be generous until our savings is at this point. And just like I said last week, that some of us with our time, like, well, when I get to this area, we make these excuses. Well, when I get to this, that one, and when we just keep pushing the further, further and further back, that we'll trust God in this area, and it's really hoarding, and, and we're insecure about the future, and we don't trust God with the future. Overspending is one, and, and, and this, this isn't for middle-class folks, or, or, or folks on government assistance, or, or folks who are millionaires. Overspending happens in every tax bracket, doesn't matter who you are, it's spending more than what you make. And if you're like my family, you've made this mistake. 
You've bit off more than you can chew. We've been in this place before. We, we got a little happy one month and, and, and got a little loose with our budget and we didn't have our review and it got a little out of control. And we're in the first one with hoarding. It, it's an it's a insecure about the future situation. Here it's an impatience issue. Like we just want the TV now. Like we just don't want to have to wait for it so we'll just put it on credit. We don't, we don't want to wait for it until we can afford it. We want it now. The, the last two, I won't spend a lot of time on We talked about comparison just a moment ago. But particularly, I, I think the entitlement thing is, is really what I want to lean on for just a second. Um, because it shows up. I, I want to speak specifically probably to those uh, who maybe are in your first 10 years of your working like life and your working career, the first 10 years of your working life. And this happens at every stage, so everybody else isn't off the hook. But uh, the comparison entitlement, we compare where we're at and where we start at to where our parents are at getting closer to retirement. And so um, mom and dad have worked 30 years for uh, a new car, and, and we think that we should have the same standard of living that they worked 30 years for. And, and it's, it's really entitlement, that we think we deserve that. We're entitled to that, but really it's just a type of greed, and it shows up in, in so many forms in our culture. And so parents, lead your kids in a way. Adults in this room, like let's, let's be people who, who don't believe we're entitled to anything. In fact, if I look at the scriptures, what I really deserve is hell. But, the, but by the grace of God, I have received eternal life. And not just life in the age to come, but in this life now. And God wants it for me, living over abundantly. And I think that more is going to be the answer. But it's, but it's not. It's not going to lead to happiness. It, it's found in him and when I trust him. And so it's a slippery slope. So we got to be content if we're going to be rich towards God. Are any of these landing with you? Maybe one, maybe all these, like they're hitting me, Pastor. Like that, that struck me. Maybe jot that down and just make it a prayer. Like we're in the 21 days of prayer. Just make it something that you're going to just circle in prayer and just say, God, would you help me? Like would you help me like come close to somebody who's wise with their finances and, and doesn't overspend and just... Would you foster in me contentment, God, so that I may be rich towards you? And we're going to talk more about that here in a minute. Uh, I think the second thing, if we're going to be rich towards God, is not just being content with what we have, but to recognize your source, to recognize our source. I want to go back and read the text verses, I'm really picking up at verse 17, and see if you catch it this time with a little enunciation on certain words, beginning with verse 17. And he told this parable, uh, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, it sounds a little bit ridiculous when you read it back in that way. You have plenty of grain, you let it for yourself on and on. You see, he saw himself as the source. And anyone that's been around farming knows that you can't do farming on your own. Not only does it take a lot of people, but at this time, there was no fancy irrigation systems to cover the field. Uh, he was reliant. He could sow all he wanted to sow. He could, he could water as much as he was able. He could prune the plants. And in harvest season, he'd be ready. But there is no harvest season if there's not rain from heaven. He did not recognize the source. He has a my, my, my mindset. And some of us, we've got a my, my, my mindset because we don't recognize our source. 
Uh, Taryn and I, we've never actually talked uh, about this, and that always makes her really nervous when I say that. But there's nothing to be nervous about, babe. She's like, we haven't talked about it. No, uh, we, we have, we've never really discussed this, but it's something that we've naturally done in raising our kids, is when we walk out from uh, a, a restaurant, if, if it's Chick-fil-A or we go get ice cream, uh, we walk out the doors, and one of us will say it first. Kids, what do you say to mom? And we set them up. They're like, What? Say thank you. Say thank you. And if, and if I don't say it to her, she'll say it. She'll say it and she'll lead it. And she'll like, boys, or, uh, uh, kids, what do we say? What do we say to daddy? Thank you, daddy. And they start getting it. And do, let me just ask you, do I need a pat on the back from my three-year-old, five-year-old for eating their meal? No, I do not <laughs> need a pat on the back. What I do is I want them to recognize their source. Because if they don't recognize their source, all that stuff that was happening before that entitlement deal is going to start rearing its ugly head. And so we've got to recognize our, our source. I want them to have a proper perspective on what's been given to them. And I'll just tell you, from time to time, someone will, I'll just be in a conversation with someone. And if you've ever said this to me, I'm not pointing you out. It happens all the time. But people will say something about your church, like, you know, even here in our church, and it's, it's our church, um, but they'll say, you know, it, it, you know, with your church, and it's, you know, it's your church, whatever you want to do, and, and it just makes me so icky and uncomfortable. I'm just like, it's not my church. I, I hope I never communicate to you that this is my, my church because it's, it's Jesus' church. Um, we're a part of this body together. It's, it's our church together. It's the body of Christ, but it's not my church. I don't, I don't want a my mindset with anything. I'm very open-handed. I'm just a temporary steward. I'm just a temporary leader uh, that God has brought here to, to lead in, in this season. And so we got to recognize our source. I think there's a couple ways that, that we recognize our, our source. I think one is just with the proper perspective, you know, proper perspective. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew um, 6, uh, talking about money, he said that if our eyes are healthy, then the whole body will be filled with light. And, and actually, if you look at it in Matthew chapter 6, he's it's kind of random, in fact. If you, if you look at it, he's talking about money, and then he says something about the eyes, and you're like, well, that's kind of random. And then he starts talking about money again, and that's where he says, you know, um, where your treasure is, there your heart is, like just the next, the next verse. And he starts talking about eyes, and what he's saying, say, if your perspective's right, if you've got the proper perspective, it's going to light up your whole body. But if your eyes are dim, if your perspective's off, then it's going to bring darkness in, in your life, and your perspective is going to be off. And for us, in this scenario, we won't be able to be rich towards God. It's undermined. It's a termite that's weaving its way into our heart, and we don't even recognize it. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord, the Lord's, and everything in it. That's my barn and your barn. That's your surplus and my surplus. That's your car and my car. That's my house and your house. That's your clothes and my clothes. That's my life. That's your life. You've surrendered to him. It's all his. And so the proper perspective puts me in a posture in which I can be rich toward God and not a my, my, my mindset. Uh, this, the second thing I think that's essential if um, we're, we're going to have this proper perspective and, and really get to a place where we recognize our source, I think it's, it's having a God-first budget. 
it's having a God-first budget. And, and I think sometimes when we first uh, maybe understand what that means to, to have a, a godly budget, a biblical budget, we actually think it's restrictive. But it's actually the very opposite of that. It's actually very freeing. Like we trust him with that, and we actually begin to experience freedom in all kinds of incredible ways in our life in which we didn't have before. And I'm going to show you some testimonies of, of people within uh, our, our body here that have shared of what that freedom has done in just a few moments uh, towards the end. Uh, but the way I see it, there, there's really only really three types of giving, two or, or three types of giving that we can give. Uh, one is the tithe, that's the, the first fruits, and that's the, the tenth um, that goes first. Uh, there's an offering, which is anything beyond that. Like, I, I just choose a bless. And then I actually would say there's a third um, that we give, and it's a, a sacrificial offering in which we, we give until, like, it hurts. And that's kind of it's a painful thing, but that's a sacrificial offering, and we see that throughout the Scriptures, too. And so there's really nothing else. And, and what, what we see in, in the Scriptures about the tithe is, is pretty incredible. First of all, it's all over from Old Testament and New Testament. It, it really began, like, as early as Genesis 4. So we get the creation account, Genesis 1 and 2, that God made the heavens and the earth. Genesis 3 is the fall of man. Genesis 4, to begin the chapter, God begins to talk about the principle of first fruits through the brothers Cain and Abel. And the scriptures say that Cain brought an offering to God. He brought something to God to sacrifice their um, uh, son, uh, sons of uh, Adam and Eve. And uh, just uh, beyond that, Abel comes and he brings, uh, he doesn't bring an offering, he brings the fat portions. He brings the first fruits to God. And the scriptures tell us another situation that wasn't fair. <laughs> Because Cain brought an offering, and Abel brought the first fruits, and God blessed Abel, and, he, and he, didn't, he didn't have blessing on Abel's offering. That, so even the, what he, he did, just kind of leftovers, God didn't bless it. And so we see it just as early as Genesis 4, God established this principle of the first fruits. You know, when you go and buy a car, or you buy a house, or these days you buy a cell phone, and you have to put a down payment on it. <laughs> you got to put a down payment um, you don't leave without a little cash down on it. Um, it it's, it's really, and what, is that, what does that down payment go to? It goes to the principal. And, and just like the Sabbath is, it's a down payment on our time that says, God, I trust you with my time. Uh, the, the tithe is a down payment up front before I leave towards the principal of the first fruits. That it's towards the principal. It, it, we don't live under the law. We don't have to do it. Have to do it. God, God, it, it later becomes a command. It, it later becomes a part of the practice, and Jesus says, continue on it. But we don't do it out of a have to attitude. We get to. It is a symbol because it is for us because what it does is it actually frees us. It frees us from the love of money. It, it puts our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. And, and God wants a, a generous and a joyful giver. So if you're just giving it just because, like honestly, it's not going to be blessed. It's not going to be. It's going to be used for ministry. It'll be a blessing to somebody else, but it's not going to be a blessing to you. And so, what heart are we doing it in? And what's our heart towards God? It's a tithe. So, getting that right, and, and I just say, build it like this: tithe, savings, whatever else you want to do with it. <laughs> okay, whatever else you want to do with it. A lot of freedom, like on yourself, honor God, and and you know, in the other way, honor God, <laughs> honor yourself, the future for yourself. And, and then beyond that, just do, do what God's leading you to do with your life. There's a ton of freedom. I, I want to take a, a little bit of an aside, a, a little bit of sidestep from the text for just a moment, just to tell you um, that we practice what we preach. We do our very best uh, to honor God in a biblical finance around here as a church. Within our, um, 
uh, board of trustees, I, I, I teach them that, hey, we want to have Fortune 500 quality with missionary passion. Quality stewardship, excellence in stewardship is not an option. It's just the standard in which we are to do uh, oversee finances uh, here at, at our church. And so we really have three strands of oversight in, in our church. Some of you are like, oh, I'm glad you're talking about this. I haven't heard you talk about this. Uh, here's a, a, our kind of three-strand cord, not easily broken, that type of thing. Board of trustees oversee our monthly and annual finances. Uh, we have a financial director and team that oversee the day-to-day operations, everything coming in, going out. Um, and then uh, myself, I, I provide directional insight uh, and oversight to, to all of it. So uh, I am involved with that. And so that, that's kind of our oversight. But I want to talk a little bit about the budget. We go through, we uh, approach um, our budget, our church budget. And, and a church budget is very different than, than a household budget. But there are some things in which I want to talk to you about that we are practicing. I want you to know that we have uh, limits in how we approach things. And it's through something we call the principle of thirds which is a very simplistic method to approach this and to understand, but to put safeguards on our life and on our church and uh, the way we approach. So uh, this is kind of for the first two quarters of this year through the month of June, what our expenses have looked like. Um, there's a people category, which is biblical. Maybe you're a person like, I don't think any pastor, I don't think anybody should ever be paid by the church. Like there's lots of scriptures on it. I'm not going to go and preach them today, but there's a lot of scriptures on it. Um, in fact, the tithe, okay, if you actually want to get into the tithe, I don't know that I want to go here today. But there was actually things on top of the tithe that, that went and took care of a priest. Okay, so I'm, I didn't wanna, I'm not going to go there, but we're just, I'm just saying, um, if you got that issue. Um, so um, <laughs> some of y'all are like, that was too much. Uh, so we, we do a max of 33% on that. We don't really want that to go over that. And uh, the national average is like 50%. So we're actually trying to model ourselves after people who are like 20 to, to 30% as we're trying to model here. We've been around on Q uh, with that this year. Places, uh, we're at 10%, a max of 33%. And that's good for, that's good kind of uh, standard practices for your own home, that your household expenses to take care of the place in which you live does not exceed a third. And so I actually really like to shoot that number more at 25 to kind of give yourself some, give yourself some margin uh, as things arise because you know your taxes are going to go up next year and the year after that and the year after that. Um, and so, anyway, we're at 10% on that. Um, but if we were to ever uh, purchase our board of trustees, what would they be looking through? What lens of any uh, indebtedness we would ever take on, which we're debt-free and intend to be for a very long time? Um, but what, what uh, would it be our standard? We don't go past 33% for the place you know, um, purpose. Uh, it's kind of the opposite. We want it to be a minimum of 33%. We're never going to not have, uh, at least a third of the income that's going directly, directly into ministry. The people make it happen. The place is important for the ministry. It's all ministry and purpose related, but things that are directly ministry related, 35%, which adds up if you do the math real quick, 78%. Uh, and within that 35% there, 11%, uh, this year, just this year, um, has gone out. And years, other years, by the end of the year, it's usually a lot higher than that, like 15%, goes out of our hands. Like, it doesn't actually benefit us. It blesses international missions. It goes into church planning. It goes to other ministries around the world. And I'm really, I'm really proud of that. So that's the practice of it leaving us. That's our tie that it's never going to get lower than 10%, usually between the 10 to 15% range is where we shoot for that. And you see there's a margin there. Uh, 11% of that that's come in, those expenses have been earmarked for the building campaign that you have generously given towards. So those aren't spent. Uh, and then savings, uh, that's been the other 11% that we've been building up, which is a good margin to have for your savings, in which honestly many years we haven't been able to have, but uh, through their faithfulness and finances, we're able to give ourselves a little bit more uh, of a margin and honestly just recover from our last fall, uh, in which we 
We uh, saw that number dwindle a little bit as we were stewarding this first phase of that. So uh, if that helps, uh, maybe that's just for you. That's just an aside. We're going to jump right back into the message, and I know I lost all my steam. But hopefully it's helpful for some of you. Okay, good. I know there's a plan here. There's strategy in place. And if you have any questions, you can talk to one of our our local board of trustees, um, uh, Lee Trevino, uh, Jamie Boatrider, John Howard, or myself, or our finance team as well. So let's, let's get back to the point, recognizing our source, building a God-first budget, building it uh, um, uh, with uh, God in, in mind first, and building in trust in Him. Where does that land for you? Do, do you trust God? Making sure that we're not robbing God of what's His, that we've got a proper perspective that the earth is the Lord's and, and everything in it, it's, it's His. Where's our heart on that? Uh, John Wesley said this, he said, earn as much as you can, save as much as you can, and give as much as you can. Like just hurt as much as you can, save as much as you can, but let's give as much as we can. And so I'm thankful for that. Here's where, here's where I want to end it this morning. Two things. We're going to be rich towards God. One, we've got to be content. And, and the second thing is, like we said, we've got to recognize your source. And the third thing, and this is where, where Jesus ended it. He, he, he said, you've got to be rich towards God. You know, you're storing up for yourself. And if we're going to be rich towards God, we've got to treasure God above all else. Like, it's not just the richness I bring to him. It's the richness I find in him. Did you catch that? Like, it, it's, not, it's not the riches I bring to him that actually says what's in our heart. It's actually the richness we find in him that says what's in our heart. Do I actually view, man, You can take everything I have, but give me Jesus. I'm going to be good because he's my treasure. Because when everything else fades away, I was listening to uh, Bob Goff. Some of you guys know him. Um, He's a former attorney and just been an incredible kind of voice of God's love in this generation in the past uh, few years. And and, 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 uh, Bob has been building this log cabin like for like 30 years. He purchased this property like 30 years ago. I I don't even know where they're at. But he's slowly but surely been preparing this property and he's just, it's immaculate. I mean, he had a a good career as an attorney and did well for himself. And so every weekend he would just go out there and they do a little stuff. Over 30 years he's been building this property and this log cabin that his kids have grown up in. And and they just said, hey, three months out of the year, this is crazy, this is awesome. They, they, They just shut all their business down and for three months they go up there with their kids for the summer. And they're just like, we don't do anything. We just, we just rest at the lodge on this property he's been preparing for 30 years. It's pretty incredible. Well, just a couple years ago, in the past couple years, this log cabin burned down. I was listening to Bob Goff talk about this cabin, and he, uh, he, he was joking. I mean, I, I, don't, I know it was probably tough for him walking through it, but the way he talks about it now is such with just a, a joyful spirit. And you could tell that his heart is not in his earthly possessions. He's got fulfillment that goes far beyond that because his first comment after the house burned down, his, his first thought was, this is terrible. His second thought, he says, was, I, I bet it killed the mice that we've been trying to kill. <laughs> he was just excited about it. His attention wasn't even on the possessions. Now, there was a lot of family heirloom stuff and pictures and stuff that, that they mourned over and was very difficult. But nonetheless, I think it says to us that his, possession, his, um, his treasure was not on this earth and none of our treasure is really in this earth. The pharaohs of Egypt used to collect all their gold and treasures and they wanted to be buried with it. And you know where that gold and treasure can be found? In a museum near you. 
because it didn't go with them. It didn't go with them. We think that there's going to be a little more happiness with a little bit more, but, but there, there never is. You know, um, I think if you look at this man in the parable, everybody would look on this guy and say, he's a great success. I mean, he's worked his farm incredible. I mean, he's building bigger barns. I mean, that's exciting stuff. I mean, who wants a bigger barn in the house? You know, for your house, bigger barn, a little more storage, a little bigger closet. Everybody be like, man, that's awesome. You know how Jesus looked at him, how God looked towards him? Did you see it in the text? He called him a four-letter F word. You fool. You fool. Everybody else, success, amazing, man, I wish I had that. God says, you're a fool. How do we view God? Do we find our treasure in him? Regardless of how people view us, how does God view us? Does he see us as rich towards him? I love how the message translation kind of puts verse 21. That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. You know, as a pastor, um, when I come up and and, and preach and teach on finances, I'm, I'm never trying to get anything for you. Uh, my life doesn't change except for that we, we get to do more ministry, and that's amazing, and that's why we do what we do. Um, but it, it's for you, and I, I'm just, I'm honestly, I, I come out of a place of gratitude for just the faithfulness in this house that we, we see lives. I, I get letters from schools, from missionaries, from church planners, um, from people who don't go to our church, your family members who live in other cities and states who, who say, thank you for your ministry. You never know the impact that it's having. So, so I kind of close and say thank you for your faithfulness and giving and for your generosity because it's making an eternal difference in people's lives. This past week, um, and band can come, um, I, I reached out to, to five or six people and say, hey, would you mind sending me just, just a few sentences on what God's done? You, you've shared with me, these individuals have shared with me just their journey, and, uh, and I kind of know what God's done in their life. And so I reached out and said, hey, would you just give me two or three sentences on what God's done in your heart on this thing of money, because I know some people are probably, probably struggling there. Uh, and I want to read these to you, no names attached, just, just the heart that what God's done in their life. This couple said, before we began tithing, I think we've got it up there, before we began tithing, it was something um, we would talk about, but never just felt like we could financially afford to do. Often feeling that our service hours to the church justified our lack of giving. And after going through financial peace and we began to see money differently and understand the importance of putting God first and committing to reaching a full tithe each week. And it took some time, but now we've reached that goal and we're so blessed. We're blessed in so many way, new ways and never feel like we're without. Um, this person said, I, I, I rationalized that God wanted my service more than my finances for so long that it had actually begun to put unnecessary strain on my marriage relationship. Not tithing meant that I actually felt obligated to serve often, which was stealing quality time away from my spouse and joy from my service. And now I tithe as a way to say yes to God, to my church, and to my marriage. Powerful. This person said, to me, the best time uh, to give is, is when it hurts. We don't struggle for much in the States compared to the rest of the world. And Giving, when it puts a strain on our budget, helps me feel like I'm making some sort of sacrifice forward to God as well as trust Him that He's the one that provides, not, not me. Uh, the first year that we began to tithe, I, I never wanted to see the amounts that we, we used for our tithe. I was afraid. 
I was very new in my faith, and I didn't understand what the tithe meant. Uh, I never noticed what was missing in my check. It, all I knew is that our bills were paid, and, and we lived our lives at, like we normally would. It was a season of plenty for us, and the increase of our expenditure was exceeded by our increase in pay. And I found out that when we filed our taxes, the exact amount that we had tithed, and I was shocked. I never even noticed. I made a promise to God not to be afraid of giving and what he asked. And instead, I asked him to trust me with the life that he gave me in order to give more to help other people. My wife set me on this path that was foreign to me, and now my faith has made me strive for more so I can give more. Powerful testimonies of God's faithfulness. And you, you, maybe you've heard it said that Jesus talked about money more than anything else. And he did. He talked about money a lot. 11 out of his 39 parables were around money. They were around money. The issue was the heart. It's all Jesus is ever interested in. Just the heart. It's all around money because he knows money's a string on our heart. And for some of us that we walked in here and and there's just strings all over our heart, and we're torn, and we're serving multiple masters. And I just believe the next few moments, they're going to lead us in a song. And I, and I just believe that, that through the power of the Spirit, we're just going to begin to clip some of those strings. We're going to begin to surrender the, our, our seeing ourselves as the source, but that He's the source. In the 1950s, Dwight D. Eisenhower um, passed through Congress, alongside Congress, to put on our currency... In God we trust. You know, that was just the 1950s. And I just wonder, to end today, do we trust God with our money? I mean, it's so funny that it's on our money, but how many of us, do we really trust God with our money? I believe God's got blessing that's going to just pour out in our life, and it may not come. We don't, we don't give to be blessed, but the reality is where we sow, we reap. What I love about blessing God is when, when I... I I sow into the ground. It, it comes from all kinds of different ways and ways I did not expect, and it's always better than what I ever thought. Psalm 91.2 says this, I will say of the Lord, He's my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him will I trust. Let's stand. I want to pray over you today as we end in worship. God, I thank you for who you are that you are faithful, God, that you are our provider, God. We acknowledge you today as our source, source for our church, the source for me and my family, source for every single person here, God, without the rain, without the, the provision to have a job, to, to be able to work hard, God, where would we be? And you have provided that, God, and we're going to honor you with it. And so we just thank you for what you want to do in our hearts, God. I thank you that you're jealous for all of our heart, God, and you want freedom for each one of us in every area of our life, from every addiction and every idol. And today, God, we're talking about that idol of money, God. Would you, would you help us? Spirit, break the bonds of idolatry to money today as we worship you and declare our trust in you. In Jesus' holy name.